Hey there, welcome back to Relinquish Podcast. My name is Travis. Hey y'all, I'm Christina. Hey, how's hey. it going? It's going really well. All right, what's new? What is new? What is new? It's fall. It is fall. I love fall. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. Top fave. Actually, my favorite's autumn. Yes, same. Same. Ditto. Love the colors, love the... It's a beautiful day today, too. It is. It's, I mean, perfect weather. It's the best day of my life. Best day of my life. There's no allergies that we're experiencing at the moment, so we can actually have the windows open. This is great. Yeah. Breathing is good. Breathing is good. If this is your first time joining us, we are a husband and wife team who take controversial topics and present each side's foundational beliefs and values on the issue. We then discuss the topic at length from our viewpoint, being respectful of the beliefs we don't agree with. Our goal in having this format is to educate you, the listener, of the facts and beliefs from the side that you do not agree with, so you can have a healthy respect and true understanding for that side, even if you don't agree. We want to encourage conversation and discussion with the purpose of understanding each other. It's not easy to listen to some of the things we discuss here on this show, but I promise you this, if you stick with us, you will learn something. And feel free to disagree with us. We can still be friends if we don't agree on things. That's right. Speaking of difficult topics, guess what we're getting into today? What? What? Vaccine. Vaccine. Yeah. Vaccines, vaccinations, jabby jabs, inoculations, immunizations, and whatever else you want to call them. Happy juice. No? <laughs> <laughs> Happy juice. I don't know. That's a good one. I've never heard that. Okay. I like it. <laughs> I don't know Happy if I've juice. ever heard that either. It sounds like an alcoholic beverage it to does. me. So this is a very controversial topic right now in our world. Um, even here in the States, everyone, of course, is talking about the COVID vaccine. And we're starting to see a stigma in our culture towards people choosing not to get the COVID vaccine. So it's controversial. It is. Even in families and marriages, you might have one spouse decide not to get it. And one decide to get it. And there are relationships being divided within homes and families. Friends, employers, and I mean, everyone is having an opinion on this. And it looks like the majority of people in the U.S. are forgetting this current vaccine that's being, you know, that we're presented with, the COVID vaccine. One rhetoric that I'm noticing is that if you're not forgetting it, you are a danger to society and to our world. That's what I'm seeing out there. What about you? Yeah, I'm seeing just that it's a polarized issue, that you're either in Camp A or you're in Camp B, which are, of course, the topics we choose for mm. this podcast to begin with. But what I'm seeing is that if you're getting the vaccine, then you're considered pro-vax. And if you're not getting the vaccine, then you're considered anti-vax. So they kind of lump whoever they is, they group everybody into one of two lumps. So you're either pro-vaccine or you're anti-vax. Um, so we'll get into that a bit later, mm -hmm, but that's sure. what I'm seeing. Okay. Fair enough. That's what I'm seeing too. Mm -hmm. Similar to the gun episode that we did, um, when it's an extremely sensitive issue like this, I think it's important for us to get some ground rules and disclaimers up front on this episode so we can present accurately. And you, the listener, can hold off on bias or judgment until we get into the discussion bit of the episode. Even in the discussion, just keep in mind, keep an open mind, regardless of which side you're on. So 
the first thing we want y'all to know is that this show, Relinquished Podcast, mm-hmm. is neither anti-vaccine nor pro-vaccine. Instead, we advocate for informed consent because we believe informed consent is important for any medical intervention because medical interventions inherently have risks associated with them. Mm -hmm. So it's not just vaccines. Right. Number two, true scientific process involves critical thinking, skepticism, and debate. Rarely is science settled on anything. And lastly, this topic, vaccines, is not beyond scrutiny or above reproach. Right. So we're not claiming that it is. Right. Now, we hear the word science a lot in the rhetoric out there, especially around this topic. So what is science? So what I did is I looked up the definition of science, and I chose the uh, Britannica definition. Look at you using your smarts. Yeah, I like Britannica. Britannica? Britannica. Sounds like a ship name. It does, doesn't it? Or it might be a really cool show name. Yeah. Or an album name. Ooh. Okay, I'm going to bookmark that for a future reference. Mm -hmm. So what does old Britannica have to say about science? Okay, it says, science is any system of knowledge that is concerned with the physical world and its phenomena, and that entails unbiased observations and systematic experimentation. In general, a science involves a pursuit of knowledge covering general truths or the operations of fundamental laws. So in plain language... Will you tell me what that means in plain language? <laughs> okay. Well, you're looking at what you observe around you. Yep. So you're making observations, and then based off of what you observe, you do these experiments. You experiment. But you do it in a way, in a particular way, that is replicable. And in general... You're just trying to look for big picture things. You're looking for, I hate to say generalizations, but that's what it seems like based on this definition. Like in general, this is usually true. Sure. That's what I see. Okay. That's how I would put it in plain words. Right. I think you're including some of the scientific process in there, which is good. Sure. I'm just basing it off what you read. Yep. You're doing great. It's better than what I could have done. I done did it. You done did it. (laughs) So when it comes to vaccines, the here in America, we have a governmental agency that is is in charge of approving those vaccines to be safe for the public. Which I think because of COVID, everyone knows now, right? Right. If you didn't know before, (laughs) you know it now. Um, Because the there's only been one vaccine, right? That's been approved through this governmental agency. Correct. As of today. As of today. Yeah. So that governmental agency is the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. And they have a process for doing that. I'll include some links in the show notes where you can read all about it on that process. Um, And so before a drug is put onto a market, because a vaccine is a drug, it's it has to be tested for efficacy, which is how well it works. Mm and safety. And we'll talk more about that later in the show, because that's going to come up quite a bit. So I'd say let's get into the sides. Do you want to present the uh, 
for vaccination side? Sure, I would love to. All right. Okay, so those who are for vaccines, who support the use of vaccines, have the following beliefs. One is that they are the greatest medical achievement in modern history. They believe that vaccines are responsible for eradicating or near eradicating lots of infectious diseases like smallpox, polio, measles, chickenpox, diphtheria, pertussis, and the list goes on. They also believe that vaccines are the best defense for combating and minimizing the mortality rate of those diseases and more. They believe that vaccines prevent someone from getting a disease or that if they do get it, they get a milder form of it. They believe that vaccines are completely safe and effective. They also believe that there is no need to question the safety or efficacy of vaccines. They have a history of working well with little to no side effects or harm. They believe that if our population doesn't have high enough vaccine rates, then preventable, so-called preventable diseases become pandemic. So we lose that herd immunity. They believe that the medical science and literature behind the safety and efficacy of vaccines is sound and non-debatable. It would be like trying to debate on whether the earth is round or flat. People who are for vaccines believe that the CDC and the FDA have our health as their priority and that they are a trusted source of information with little to no corruption or conflict of interest with the manufacturers of the vaccines. So in general, that you can trust, you know, the powers that be who are above these things. They believe that people who choose not to get vaccinated are anti-vaccination. They think that they're uninformed, uneducated, and perhaps even selfish, and that they believe in conspiracy theories and things of that nature. They also believe that vaccines have no association with things like autism and that the science is clear on that. People who are for vaccines think that exemptions to vaccines should be abolished, for the greater good, I might say, and that the government should mandate everyone be vaccinated, period, for certain things. And I will say that this is, you know, an extreme view of the beliefs. So there is, of course, a spectrum from here moving to the other side. So this is kind of on, on the very far on the one side of the four. Also, the values that kind of underlie these beliefs are that governmental oversight is a positive thing in health and wellness. We need oversight. Also, the value of safety from disease. Um, and finally, the value underlying these beliefs is the value of life and quality of life. Very good. Excellent. I'd say I agree with all that, with as far as what that side generally believes in. It's my turn. Your turn. My turn. So I'm going to so talk. So you're doing anti-vaxxers? <laughs> no. <laughs> Just I'm, kidding. I'm going to do, I labeled it as people who are for vaccine choice. I like that. Well, yeah, it's a little positive. So it's like a pro-choice? Yeah, it's like pro-choice, I guess. <laughs> So beliefs, they believe vaccines are medical interventions that require informed consent to weigh the benefits against the risk. 
that vaccines are not completely safe or effective. They believe that there are many doctors, nurses, and highly educated people who have reviewed scores of data that puts into question the safety and efficacy of vaccines. They also believe that the pharmaceutical industries that produce vaccines should be held liable for the severe injuries caused by their products. Currently, a person cannot sue them if a person is severely injured or killed from their product. They believe children's immune systems are fragile during the early stages of life, and vaccines should be administered with careful planning and care to avoid unnecessary adverse reactions. They believe vaccines or any other medical intervention should not be made mandatory. To do so is a human rights violation. They believe that while there are benefits to vaccines, there are also real harm caused by adverse events, and these adverse reactions have debilitated, disabled, and eliminated many lives over the lifespan of vaccines. These are real stories of real people with real harm. Pharmaceutical companies have been caught lying and falsifying data and vaccine safety and efficacy, erasing their trustworthiness. They believe there is a lot of evidence linking certain vaccinations to autism, and more non-biased research is needed to make a clear determination. Safety studies for vaccines do not use actual placebos in the test studies. They use another vaccine, and they believe this is not scientific. They believe people are not given all of the information surrounding the risk of the vaccine at the time of vaccination. And lastly, they believe that there are multiple levels of conflicts of interest and alleged fraud between the vaccine industry and the governmental organizations tasked with regulating them. So the values that I see driving these beliefs are the value of informed consent, the value of safety in medicine, the value of safety from the disease, the value of life and quality of life, and that's it. So yeah. can I say what stands out to me right away? Sure. Or let me, let me, let me rephrase that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like obviously you have way more knowledge of this than I because this was the topic of your thesis right. when you get in your degree. But which I can I, include real quick, I can include a copy of my paper in the show notes. That would be excellent. Yeah. I have actually never read it. It's good. But I should. So, you know, I would say that the beliefs for the most part on both sides, I would say that I've heard at least to some extent. I mean, this is very detailed, so maybe not everything, but in general. However, what stands out to me is this that you can't sue a pharmaceutical company if you're severely injured or killed from their product. Um, and that stands out to me and like, it brings up questions. Okay. Like one question is, well, can you sue anybody else if you're severely injured or killed from their product? I'm not a lawyer. So I don't know. Okay. Like if we buy a ladder at Home Depot and it severely injures us or kills us, can we sue them? There, Yes, you can. I mean, that doesn't mean that you're going to win, but you have the right to hold a, a company accountable for the product that you've purchased. Okay. But you can't do that with pharmaceutical companies. No, you can't do that with vaccines. 
Okay. You can do it with other pharmaceutical products from my understanding, but vaccines are the one thing that is separate. And I can explain that later. Okay. I can go into the history of that. I would like to discuss that. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It gets really complicated, but it's very interesting. And it, I think the more people will understand that, it might cause a slight paradigm shift in their thinking of it. So I think what I first want to do is, you know, I want to kind of go through some of those statements or literature from both sides to get an idea of the rhetoric driving those beliefs, because there's a lot there. But maybe we can start with the mainstream view uh, that most of us are familiar with, such as vaccines are safe, they're effective, and they prevent us from getting and spreading harmful diseases. Diseases that kill people all around the world. I mean, this is probably the primarily the the thought behind that I I see, especially. Yeah, I mean that's like the normal course of events in life is you have a baby, your baby gets certain vaccinations at certain ages, mm-hmm. and that's just standard. It's standard. It just is, and then you you know like it's it's different than it was when we were kids, but it's still. Following a similar pattern, like we have more vaccines now, but you know, that's, you have a baby and then your baby's unprotected for a certain amount of time. And then they get their vaccinations against certain things and then they're magically protected. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, that's just like the normal pattern. That's the pattern that we follow. That's the belief. That's the thought that we've been told that sounds really great. Um, There's a lot of probably truth to it. And, you know, I've been in this topic for over a decade now, and before the COVID vaccine, the only kind of news you would get would be um, negative kind of reporting on people who chose not to get certain vaccinations for their children because of the danger that those kids kind of have on other children who are vaccinated or unvaccinated. And so this kind of falls in with that rhetoric that we're seeing now with the COVID vaccine, which is why I want to talk about it because we're seeing it even more now with the COVID vaccine, but it's something I've been hearing ever since I started kind of getting into this, this issue. So the mainstream view of they're safe, they're effective. Um, you know, it's essential for us to get these things to prevent these infectious diseases from from multiplying and spreading around the planet, causing widespread pandemics and death, right? So Wait. can we start maybe with just the obvious of like, what is, what exactly is a vaccine mm-hmm. and what's the difference between vaccination, immunization, inoculation, like those types of things? Okay. Just so we're clear on our terms. Right. All right. Well, let's start with I think it would be good to start with what what does the CDC say vaccines are? Let's just go to them. Sure. All right, because they're the boss. No, they're not the boss. <laughs> they're running the show, I should say. Yeah, I think most people would look at them as a reputable source. Sure. Let's see what they say. So I'm going to read from the CDC's website about vaccines. And it says... And this link is going to be maybe in the show notes? Yep. It'll be in the show notes. Excellent. I'm not going to read the entire page. I'm just going to kind of skim it to give us an overview. Okay. So... Skim away. Skim away. So... 
To understand how a vaccine works, at first, it's helpful to look at how the body fights an illness. Now, this is going to be important for whenever we talk. So when germs, such as bacteria or viruses, invade the body, they attack and multiply. This invasion, which is called an infection, is what causes illness. The immune system uses several tools to fight infection. Blood contains red blood cells for carrying oxygen to tissues and organs, and white or immune cells for fighting the infection. These white cells consist primarily of microphages, B lymphocytes, and T lymphocytes. Now you know what those things are, right? I do, actually. The first time the body encounters a germ, it can take several days to make and use all the germ-fighting tools needed to get over the infection. After the infection, the immune system remembers what is learned, what it learned about how to protect the body against that disease. Make sense so far? Does. Okay. Now the body keeps a few T lymphocytes called memory cells that go into action quickly if the body encounters the same germ again. When the familiar antigens are detected, B lymphocytes produce antibodies to attack them. On board? Mostly, yeah. Okay. So how do vaccines work? Vaccines help develop immunity by imitating an infection. This type of infection, however, almost never causes illness. But it does cause the immune system to produce T lymphocytes and antibodies. It's talking about the vaccine. Mm -hmm. The vaccine doesn't cause the illness. Sure. Sometimes after getting a vaccine, the imitation infection can cause minor symptoms such as fever. Such minor symptoms are normal and should be expected as the body builds immunity. So good, good so far. Mm-hmm. Once the imitation infection goes away, the body is left with a supply of memory T lymphocytes, as well as B lymphocytes, that will remember how to fight that disease in the future. However, it typically takes a few weeks for the body to produce T lymphocytes and B lymphocytes after vaccination. Therefore, it is possible that a person infected with a disease just before or just after vaccination could develop symptoms and get a disease because the vaccine has not had enough time to provide protection. So it takes a few weeks. Right. Okay. Which is takes sure. a few weeks when you get, you know, a virus anyway or whatever for your body to fight it. Well, according to what you read, it takes a few days. A few days for it to build up some. Yeah. So a few days for a natural infection, a few weeks for a whatever they're calling it, imitation infection. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It then talks about the different kinds of vaccines. There's live attenuated vaccines, and then there's inactivated vaccines, there's toxoid vaccines, there's subunit vaccines, conjugate vaccines, and now we have the MNRA, MN, mRNA vaccines. Dang, I didn't realize there was a yeah, lot of different so many. kinds. Um, Dang. It also talks on this page about how vaccines require more than one dose. Always? Um, not always, but a lot of them do. I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the, the logic behind that, which you can read in this literature, is that the first kind of shot that you get doesn't produce enough of those antibodies or, or memory cells. And so um, it's a, it's important to get a, like a booster shot or a second dose or a third. Some, some are like three or four doses over a period of time. That should get you to that level to give you that immunity for a long, long time. And I guess they've just based this off of their experimentation to know which ones need how many. Correct. Over how much time and all that kind of stuff. Right. Science. Science. 
Okay, so that's, in a nutshell, how vaccine works. Any questions on that? So, yeah, what's, is that the same thing as inoculation or immunization? Well, I don't have those definitions pulled up here. There, people, there are people who believe inoculation is not the same as immunization and it's not the same as vaccination. We use those terms interchangeably, but I don't think they're the same. And I couldn't tell you offhand unless I looked it up exactly what that is. So homework assignment, homework listeners. Assignment. Everybody's right now Googling. Don't Google. Do something different. Google's going to be pretty go. biased when you, yeah, DuckDuckGo maybe or something. Okay, so we've defined our terms. We defined our terms. So my question is, which I think is pretty relevant for today with the COVID um, virus out there and the fear that's going around about COVID and spreading it, which is a, of an, a, a, what's the word? A valid fear. A valid fear, right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So if you have, if you've been vaccinated for COVID, based on how vaccines work, because, and based how infections work, even if you're vaccinated, Whenever you get an infection, like a virus, your body first has to identify it. It has to respond, but you actually still have that virus in you until your body can kill it. You just don't get any symptoms, theoretically. Right. Yeah, you might get a little symptom as, your, as your body, like as your immune system goes into defense, like you might mm. get a fever or some kind of mild symptom just some malaise for a day or two mm -hmm. or something. But it, but you actually have that virus. You're carrying that virus in your body, which sure. means you can spread it. Sure. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it said if you have um, like a natural response would take a few days. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's the same after you have a vaccine, but it makes sense that if your body has this memory, it would still take at least a day or two for you right. to yeah, I would imagine for your body same. to eliminate the mm -hmm. whatever the invader. Right. Let's say one to three days. So one to three days you're carrying this virus and spreading it to others unawares. Potentially. Right. So I think this is an important thing to note because I believe, and I could be wrong, but you out there can tell me if I'm wrong for you personally, but I feel like from the conversations I hear both in my personal realm and in the news stories and so forth, the rhetoric out there is that once you're vaccinated against a disease, you're completely protected from it and cannot spread it. Hmm. And that's just simply not true. You're still going to get the, you're still going to get the, the virus or bacterial potentially. infection. Well, right. Potentially. I'm saying, let, let's just say. If you're exposed to it. Yeah. Let's say you're vaccinated against uh, measles, and you're exposed to the measles virus. And let's say you swap spit with somebody who has measles, and that virus is now in you. That's you, grody. Yeah. You have measles. You haven't developed the infection yet mm. because... But you're a carrier, per but se. But you're a carrier. So there's no difference in that moment between you 
and an unvaccinated person as far as the danger you pose for someone else to get it. Sure. And that makes sense because I've heard of, um, isn't it like the herpes? It's like a herpes family virus that causes like cold sores and like mm-hmm. ni- more than 95% of the population has this virus, but it's not necessarily active. And, you know, like in some people, they just have it. They're just mm-hmm. like a carrier. Right. And they don't ever show any signs of it. But then some people show signs. So, I mean, I don't know if that's the same that's thing not or the not, same thing. but I, that is the I same understand thing. the concept that you can be a carrier of something and sure. not actually like come down with the illness or whatever. Right. So that makes sense. Okay. And so. therefore you could still be spreading it and not have any idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the, like when the Europeans first came to the quote new world, um, you know, they were spreading different diseases and they, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a historian or anything, but maybe they didn't even realize they were carrying those germs. Right. Potentially. Possibly. Possibly. Maybe. Perhaps. Well, the reason why I bring this up is I think it's worth discussing. And I think it's worth discussing out there, people listening, and worth thinking about. And I know I, I was in this camp many years ago under this belief that if you're vaccinated against a disease, whatever, insert disease name, that there's an automatic brick wall. There's an automatic brick wall between you and that disease, and you are completely 100% protected against it, whereas it can't even enter your body. Like there's this, there's that belief, like there's like, there's like a, a force field around you that protects you from it. Hmm. Yeah, I think I've definitely heard that and probably believe that. I think a lot of you out there probably have that, or maybe it, maybe not right now since it's so prominent in the discussion out there in the news, but maybe before this whole COVID thing, that's, that would have been your belief. Okay, I'm vaccinated against measles, never going to get measles, I'm protected from it. Hmm. It's not even going to be in my body. Well, what's interesting on that note, I have two things. One is that we're actually participating in a study that's happening here um, at the University of Texas that is to find out the levels of antibodies that people have against COVID, whether they're vaccinated or not. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, what they're finding is that, you know, let's just say we have 10 people who have been vaccinated against COVID. Those 10 people have completely different levels of antibodies. Some of them have barely any at all. And some of them have quite a few. So it's, so they're trying to find patterns. Like what is the pattern? And I just think that's really fascinating. It is fascinating. Which kind of shows why just because you've been vaccinated doesn't like different people have different levels of immunity. Mm. But also the question, something that came up during COVID that was kind of like a, I feel like a lot of us are learning a lot through this, but um, because the vaccines other than maybe the Johnson and Johnson, I don't know, but they're, they're not live virus vaccines. And so Apparently I need to look this up because apparently there's a bunch of different kinds of vaccines, but when there's a live virus vaccine, I've heard that you actually, when you get that vaccine, while your body is in the process of developing, like apparently it takes a few weeks, according to what the CDC said, um, you're, you're actually shedding that virus. So what does that mean? Cause I don't really know what that means. It means you are spreading that virus to others. Through what? Through normal... Normal ways of 
like through when you shed dead skin cells or? That I don't know. I was assuming because you're, because you, it, you have like a, essentially an active infection or an active, the virus is in you while your body's fighting it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're sneezing or coughing, depending on how that virus is transmitted, normally you're a trend, you're basically a transmitting that virus. But how, I don't understand how that would be different than let's just say you got one that's not a live virus vaccine. Well, the vaccines, I mean the vaccine, the, the invader virus, bacteria, whatever is still in you and you're still, couldn't you still spread it? No, let's say you so get. So from the mRNA vaccine, this COVID one, you wouldn't, there's no possible way for no. you to spread COVID right. from the vaccine. Correct. But from live virus vaccines, you could actually spread the virus from the vaccine itself, even if you didn't actually get the virus from somewhere. Correct. Okay. My mind is being a little blown right now. There are... <laughs> I'm glad I'm not a scientist because I would never want to have to figure all this stuff out. So for like example, a great example of the shedding phenomenon is the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine which is a combo of X or just the measles, depending on which one they both have ones that are live attenuum or live viruses that you can get. We often see outbreaks of measles among vaccinated people. One, which is an indicator that the vaccine itself is not very effective. Okay. Two, um, there have been studies showing that a lot of the actual spreading of the measles virus is from, from people who, are, who were recently vaccinated. So they had shed it in some way, spread it to other people who then got it. People who may have not been vaccinated or may have been vaccinated, but when they do these research studies and, and kind of focus in on some of these outbreaks, they identify that these things are being caused by people who were just recently vaccinated. So some, it sounds like some vaccines have a higher shed rate than others. <laughs> maybe, like I don't, I, that I don't know. So I wonder if that's the same for like in Europe. I know they don't do as many combo vaccines as we do. And that's a generalization. So I know that there's, mm -hmm. you know, there's problems with generalizations, but does it change when you separate and just do one vaccine at a time? Like, is it because of the combo or we just don't know? As far as the shedding, I don't know about that. But as why Europe is choosing not to do combo vaccinations is, a, is another thing we can talk about because of the safety concerns of the combo shots. Okay. Which actually is a great segue into what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about... Um, what are in vaccines, like the ingredients, how they're made, what they're made from, and why people on the pro-vaccination choice side have some concerns about putting this in their body. The pro-choicers again. Okay. Well, and that's a word, so, that I've learned during this, uh, you know, COVID uh, era, the era of COVID, is adjuvant is a word that... yes. That I've learned, I've learned that you have to have an adjuvant for a vaccine to work, to do what it's supposed to do, which is a question that I thought of because from what I understand, whenever 
Jensen or Jansen or whoever he was, was developing or kind of Jenner. Jenner. Yes. Jenner. Edward Jenner. Edward Jenner. When he figured out the smallpox deal, which was really, wasn't it cowpox or something? Anyway, whatever it was that he figured out, there wasn't an adjuvant, right? It was just. Right. So anyway, what, what is that? That's more, that's more the inoculation where, where inoculation comes from. But what's an adjuvant and why is it needed? An adjuvant is an, is a, is a, is something they put inside the vaccine that stimulates an immune response. So the, if the oh. virus itself is, since it's weakened, if it's a live virus, it's going to be weakened because they don't want you to get the disease, right? And we don't want to and get we the don't disease, want to get the disease which is right. why we're getting the vaccine. So to tip the scales so that we have an immune response, mm. um, adjuvants are placed in the vaccine to stimulate the immune response. Otherwise it wouldn't really work as well. So, now that's, that's the scientific community saying that, that I have problems with the adjuvants that are in vaccines. Personally, I have issues with them. I have concerns, which we can talk about. What were you going to say? Sure. Like I was just wondering, is that so for all the different types of vaccines, because for the COVID vaccine, so I have lots of different allergies. So I, I looked up back whenever things came out, like the ingredients and a lot of the adjuvants that are in other vaccines are not in the COVID vaccine. And so um, does it depend on what, because remember we just, the CDC, there was like, I don't know how many you said, like 10 different types of vaccines. Does it depend on the type or do they all have adjuvants? I believe it depends on the type. Before COVID, I would have told you that 100% of the vaccines out there had an adjuvant of some kind, as well as a, a preservative. Yes. Preservatives, I think, is what the COVID vaccine has. Or maybe it's that. I don't know. Um, it has something in it that some people are allergic to. It's the PEG thing or whatever. Right. So real quick, let me, let me give a rundown of what is inside of a vaccine. Okay. Thank Without you. getting into the scientific specifics, the... what. In most vaccines, or I, you know, in all vaccines, you're going to have in your average old plain average game, old vaccination run vaccine, of the mill. You're going to have either you know a virus, live or dead. You're going to have um, something that's going to imitate the virus of some kind. Okay, you're going to have that, like an adjuvant. No, not an adjuvant. Oh. You're going to have the main factor in there. Main thing that's either a, a dead virus or something that mirrors a bacteria, if it's a bacterial thing you're trying to prevent. Something that mimics, mirrors, or is the thing that you're trying to prevent yourself from getting. That I makes see. sense? Okay. Yes, that makes sense. So there's one. So sometimes it's an imposter. Yeah, it's an, like with the COVID vaccine, it's an imposter. So, uh. yeah. Two, you're going to have adjuvants in it to stimulate the immune response. Three, you're going to have preservatives in it to help keep the vaccine good on the shelf stable. for a long time. Yeah. Stable. Shelf life. Oh, okay. Which explains why. So maybe what's in COVID vaccine is an adjuvant and not a preservative because don't they have to like throw them away if they don't use them real quick? Yeah. From my understanding, the current COVID vaccinations one of the benefits of them is that they do not have a bunch of these negative preservatives 
that I think are very harmful to the human body, they don't have any of those. They're, they're pretty clean mm-hmm. as far as the vaccine goes. Okay. Okay. So let me continue. The okay, fourth sorry. thing that most of them have is some kind of something in there to protect the dose or doses from contamination. For example, for example, thimerosal is is a mercury compound that is in some vaccinations, some vaccines to prevent the vaccine from getting, uh, what's the word, compromised by outside pathogens or outside germs. So whenever you stick the needle in the, the dose, so you have a multivial dose where you're the doctor, they say, okay, we're going to give you the measles vaccine. They stick the needle in and that, that bottle they're sticking into, they're going to use like 20 times. It's got like 20 doses in it. Mm. So every time you stick a needle in there, could be introducing you could be introducing things from the air and stuff in it so it has you know like i'm not going to say lysol but something like lysol in it that's killing whatever it's being whatever's being introduced into it to prevent it from being contaminated does that make sense yeah that's like fascinating so thimerosal Um, is an is an is ethyl mercury it's a type of mercury that um it that that's the purpose it serves and there's certain um there's other ones too. I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but there's a lot of things like that in vaccines to keep them safe from contamination. So that's not an adjuvant. It's not an adjuvant. So wait, mercury, like the stuff from a thermometer, that's like super toxic and... It's not the exact same as what's in a thermometer, but yeah, it's just as toxic, yes. Ew. Right. And I want to talk about that here in a minute about just how toxic ethyl mercury is or um, the thimerosal is because it's concerning. Okay. All right. So those are kind of the four main components to a vaccine. So what are some examples of adjuvants then? Oh, wait, wait, I forgot one other thing. Okay. Included in the vaccines is another ingredient and that is byproducts from the manufacturing of the vaccine. What? Yeah. Byproducts of, so. Okay, wait. Can we, my little brain is having a hard time. So there's (laughs) the actual virus or bacteria or like a impasta. Right. And then there's an adjuvant, which is what stimulates an immune response. Yes. And then there's the like. Preservative. Preservative. And then there's the thing that protects the virus from being degraded Mm -hmm. or that is the preservative. They can be, they can be the same. They can be the yeah. same, but they sometimes they're different, but they can be the same. And byproducts. Byproducts. Yes. This is where the pro-vaccination side, they believe some of these byproducts, um, well, for one, they believe a lot of the ingredients have detrimental health impacts. The pro-vaccination side or the pro-choice I side? I meant the pro-choice side. Okay. Um, some of the byproducts they believe are introducing animal DNA into our DNA because, for example, to create a a vaccine that has a, a, a weakened virus, what they'll do is they, they have to grow the virus in a laboratory and you have to use living tissue to grow that virus. Oh. 
Yes. And so what they'll do is they will use either an animal tissue to grow the virus on, like like using it as a scaffold to like build this virus and to create it, to like, like grow it. A chicken embryo or something? Because that's why yes. people who are allergic to eggs, like some viruses they can't, I mean, some vaccines they can't get. Correct. That's really interesting. Okay. Or um, human tissue from an aborted fetus. Grody. Yeah. So there's two aborted fetal tissue lines that vaccine manufacturers will use to grow viruses. And they've been using these, the same aborted fetal tissue lines for decades. They're not, they're not using newer aborted fetal tissues. They've been using them since the sixties. Okay. That sounds even grosser. So it's either aborted human tissue, it sounds like, or it's like aborted animal tissue. Yeah. Or, well, or it's, it's not aborted animal tissue. It's tissue from an animal. Like for example, the polio. Why don't they just get tissue from a human? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But for example, this is why you're not a scientist and you scientist. don't get paid the big bucks. That's right. The polio vaccine um, used um, monkey kidney cells to grow the virus. Um, okay. So where does the byproduct come in? Like, I'm not really quite understanding what a byproduct is. Okay. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to. Okay. I so mean, because it's there's a lot grown of books out there on that talk living about it. tissue. Science happens, and then when they um, harvest this grown vac- uh, virus or bacteria, then they also might be harvesting something else. Yeah, so residue from, let's say, on the polio vaccine, residue from the monkey kidney cells might still be attached to those viruses, and they're not filtered out. Does you that make that sense? You know that feeling so that you filtered get out. whenever you walk into a spider web or you yeah. see a really creepy spider. I have that feeling right now. Like, ew, like it just makes me like go, ew. like I'm that's gonna, in my body. I'm going to make it worse. Don't make it worse. <laughs> so whenever this topic comes up in my conversations, because I have my opinions, but I also, I've looked very intensely at this issue of vaccinations and safety and efficacy. The polio vaccine and polio come up very, like almost in every conversation. Yeah. Nobody wants to get polio. No one wants to get polio. So I'm going to say this. I'm going to say there's a really good book people can read about that covers this, the polio thing. I will say this, the, the history that we have been, I don't know, exposed to most of us about polio is not entirely accurate. When Polio was going on, and right now I'm just going to focus on the vaccines, the polio vaccines back in the late 50s and the early 60s. The issue of polio is a whole other thing that we're not going to go into right now. People can look at that on their own. But let's just focus on the polio vaccine. It is a fact that from 1955 to 1963, Polio vaccines were grown from monkey kidney cells that were later found to have been infected with a virus called simian virus number 40, or SV40 for short. So when they were creating this polio vaccine, 
they were growing these viruses. They were growing the polio on a monkey kidney cell. That cell was contaminated with a virus. Now, the SV40 virus is a cancer-causing virus. The plot thickened. Right. And this came to light... Well, I'm so glad they found that out. Yeah, a few decades ago. Um, there's a really good book I read. Because, sorry, I'm my brain. Like, <laughs> okay. So now, when they have this live tissue, they can test it, I guess, for things before they start using it to grow. Correct. I mean, now they... the. The polio, the polio vaccine is, is manufactured much in the same way it was back then, but it's, you know, it's filtered ex extensively to ensure that these, especially at the SV40 viruses, doesn't contaminate the vaccine. Okay. I'm sorry. Continue. All right. So many, many, many years later, um, well, there's controversy around that particular time because there were some people who discovered that these kidney cell, these monkey cells were contaminated and tried to recall these polio vaccines and the manufacturers decided not to recall them. Hmm. So it's estimated that 93 people, 93 million people received these contaminated vaccines. That's a lot of people. And they've been able to, I read a really good book called um, The Virus and the Vaccine, I think. And it, it's... Is that going to be in the show notes? Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. It extensively follows this line of SV40 virus from the vaccinations where people who are dying of cancer or developing cancer, they were able to test them for this particular virus and able to isolate where this virus came from. Mm. And they were able to identify that the people who got these cancers from this virus was, it was from this vaccination. So what I'm hearing really is that there's there's room for mistakes. I mean, shocker, we're human. And hopefully we're learning from that. But there's some unknowns. There's some byproducts is kind mm. of the point. Um, so I feel like I have a better understanding now of the preservatives and the thing that protects the virus from degradation and the, you know, mm -hmm. how they're getting this virus or impasta or whatever and what are you said something earlier about you know some of the ingredients being concerning so I can see how these byproducts would be concerning I can see how I mean aborted fetal tissue that's like a whole nother topic of being controversial of that. Yep. And then there's, you said thimerosal, which is mercury, some sort of form of mercury, which to me sounds creepy. And I mean, you haven't even mentioned other ingredients. Are there others that are like red flag, red flag? There's or? two in particular that I think is meant, uh, worth mentioning, and that's aluminum and formaldehyde. Formaldehyde. Aluminium? Aluminium. Formaldehyde? <laughs> yeah, formaldehyde. Like, what? Oh, and gelatin is another one that's in a lot of these vaccines. What's that... wrong with gelatin? Well, nothing's wrong with gelatin, but... I the... love jello. I love... Yeah. I love... <laughs> Are I you going to do your Bill Cosby? <laughs> no. <laughs> I do the worst Bill Cosby. It's terrible. Um, I love gummy bears. Yeah. Yeah. Gelatin's another thing. I don't know enough about it, but there are people who have concerns about the gelatin inside of the vaccines because of what it does, because of how it enters the body. Oh, wow. I so, for example, look, okay, so 
that really applies to any of the ingredients in a vaccination. For one, there are not really a whole lot of studies, if any, that I'm aware of, that can study the effect of injecting any one of these ingredients into the human body at the doses that we are given in the vaccinations separately to know how a person will be affected by it. Well, I think some buzzword that I've heard in the out in the world these days is what I think of when I hear of things like mercury and aluminum is heavy metal toxicity and how like there's people who are being tested and they're having high levels of metals in their body. And I mean, they could come from many different sources. I'm, I have no idea, but like, it doesn't sound like it would be a good idea to inject those things into your body. I mean, does the body process those toxic things out like naturally or? Well, that's a great question. And we need a lot of more studies to be able to determine if that's the case. Because whenever you ingest something by eating it or breathing it or drinking it, your body has the ability to do what it does and filter out contaminants and so forth to the best of its ability, right? That's called the immune system. Unless you're smoking it, I guess. Like, isn't that the problem with cigarettes is that they have a lot of maybe, maybe adjuvants. I don't know what maybe, word they know. would use. Maybe smoking's, okay, the wrong word, the, the wrong. No, but I'm just saying yeah. like, that's proof that, well, your body can't always process it out. Right. Because there, it's a res, leaves a residue sometimes. Right. And there's a concern that these toxins, because they're toxic, aluminum, formaldehyde, mercury, these are toxins. These are, we know these to be neurotoxins to the brain. The issue is, are they passing through the blood brain barrier because they're being injected and mm. bypassing your immune system? Are they being, are they by, are they going through that blood brain barrier? Now, there's been a lot of studies to show that the mercury is by, yes, it's going through. Mm. And we know that there are people who, for some reason, are not able to metabolize. metabolize that. And so it builds up. Now, it's, it's the same with aluminum. There, are, there have been studies and people continue to study the effects of aluminum through the injection of a vaccine. And how it, it affects you in one way, it's a neurotoxin, but it's, it, it's even more lethal when it's combined with other ingredients like formaldehyde. When it's combined with formaldehyde, it, it changes its, its properties a little bit and it, it becomes a lot more dangerous to the human body. I'm seeing some future applications here for like this whole thing where you get your DNA mm -hmm. test and you find out if you have the gene for this or the gene for that and how... Um, like this study that's happening right now with the COVID vaccine and just COVID in general, where you can see, you know, 10 people who are in the same circumstance and they all have different levels of antibodies. Like maybe that's connected to a gene. And also if you have 10 people who get injected with aluminum or whatever, whatever, formaldehyde, mercury, maybe there's a gene that they would know oh, well, my body processes this really mm -hmm. well. So it's, you know, quote unquote, safe for me to get this because my body's going to know what to do with it. Or somebody on the flip side is going to say, oh, I have the gene that says my body doesn't process mercury or aluminum or whatever. And therefore it wouldn't be safe for me to get this particular vaccine because these things aren't necessarily in every vaccine, right? 
Right. But they're in a lot of them. It's complicated. So, so I guess when you get a vaccine, does your doctor hand you a list of ingredients? They're supposed to. Each vaccine has what is called a vaccine insert. And that is typically 20 to 30 pages long. And it... So just a real quick read? Real quick read. It's what the doctors are supposed to give every patient before the vaccination so that they have enough time to read it and to make an informed choice. Now, I'm going to ask everybody out there, when was the last time you read one of these? I never read one. I've read... Well, usually they give it to you... Almost all of them. At the appointment where you have a 15-minute time slot with the doctor... You don't have time to read that. You don't have time. They're literally 20 to 30 pages long. And they detail out. They're actually fascinating because they're they're provided, they're written up by the manufacturer of the vaccine. And it goes into detail about what the vaccine is, what it's designed to do, some common side effects, and they always mention the small ones first. And then it goes into the details of the clinical trials like how they tested this vaccine for safety and efficacy and where these numbers come from. And so it gives you a, like kind of like an overview of what the trials consisted of, who was in the trial, like how many participants were in the trial, you know, what the placebo was, was and, what the, and what the vaccine was that they're kind of testing for. And real quick, until the COVID vaccine, all vaccines were in the trial studies, they never used a placebo. But they did with COVID? Yeah. Well, when I say placebo, they never used a saline placebo in those studies. Sure. I know with the Pfizer, they're using a, a saline placebo. Well, that's progress. First, yeah, progress. So many people don't know that, but in vaccination trials prior to COVID, there was never a saline placebo used. It's always another vaccine that is used. That <laughs> just doesn't seem like the definition of random controlled trial or like whatever. It it's not. And there's a reason for that. And, and I can't remember the exact reason, but it's, um, it goes back to when vaccinations were first kind of really being mass produced here in the States. There's a, there's a moral ethical reason why they, they do that. And I can't, mm. I couldn't tell you exactly what it is other than I, I think the, so don't quote me on this, but I think the belief behind that is that it would be immoral to withhold uh. a vaccine from a, a trial participant, something along those lines. Anyway, so whenever, if you, if you read these studies that are on these vaccine inserts, it tells you, here's how many people died during this study on, both, on either side. Here's how many, here are the adverse reactions that were documented in these studies on both sides and, and so forth. And it's pretty, it's pretty telling. Well, and it makes sense that if they're giving you that list, I know, you know, you're not necessarily reading it, but you're probably signing on the dotted line like we all do without reading all the sure. fine print. And so they, it's like they're acknowledging that there's risks inherent in this mm-hmm. and that, you know, people have had this or that experience. And with the polio thing, like you said, like years later, I don't know how long, how much time passed, but they found out that they were tracing this virus that caused cancer back to this monkey cell business, mm-hmm. this monkey business. This monkey business. Anyway, and so let's just say that you were um, someone who had been harmed by either the monkey business vaccine or some future vaccine. Well, I don't see how 
legitimately you could theoretically sue them because they gave you all the information up front or in the case with the monkey business, they didn't know they were hurting people. So how could they be at fault? Well, technically on the monkey business, they knew that these, these vaccines were tainted with this virus and they chose to not recall them. That's well, where they're liable. at some point during it, but in the beginning they didn't. But I right, mean, so right. yes, I get, I see your point. Like yeah. in that case, well, sure. But like today you're getting an insert and it says, oh, 25 people died from this thing and 25 people, their right arm doesn't work anymore or like whatever, mm -hmm. like whatever it says. And then you're signing it and you're getting it. You're not signing anything when you go to the doctor to get a vaccine. Well, you're consenting. Right. I mean, the doctor's not knocking you out and giving you the vaccine. But I would argue against that a person isn't really consenting, making an informed choice when they're at the doctor's office because they're, the doctor is always f kind of using fear tactics to get somebody to get a vaccine. Well, and I guess if you liken it to other industries, like, I don't know, if you're at the gym and you trip over equipment and fall and break your leg, like you could sue the gym, but really like, come on. No, I get that too. I, I don't, I'm not sure where I stand on the vaccine, you know, holding them liable and accountable. I think they should be accountable to some degree. I'm just interested in this whole fact that you can't sue them like, why are they special? Well, and let me just, sorry to interrupt you, but I don't sue people. I've never sued anyone. <laughs> I don't plan not, on suing do I. Yeah. anyone. I just think it's interesting. It is interesting. And this is actually where we started in this conversation. That was the first question you asked when we started talking. So I think this is a great place to actually pause and pick back up on the next episode for part two, because we still have a lot to talk about. So what you're saying is we made it through the whole episode <laughs> without my very first question being answered. Right. Well, all righty well, then. We, we did it. <laughs> so. Check success. Yes. What I'd like to discuss on the next episode, if we can, and if I don't get sidetracked, is we'll start there. We'll start with why we can't hold the vaccine manufacturers accountable for their products. And maybe talk about really, should we be able to? I mean, what's the difference between that and other products? Sure. And then I'd like to talk a little bit more about some of the ingredients, the risks that are involved, and I'm hoping that we can spend the majority of the time talking about government mandates in regards to this vaccine. Which is something you know a little something about. I do. Stay tuned to find out why. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it for today. Um, I will encourage everyone to... Um, Email us with any questions or accolades you might have. We, we love the accolades. We do. Um, we do. <laughs> <laughs> also, you can support us as well on our website, www.relinquishpodcast.com. You can give to us and support us because we are listener supported. And um, join us next time as we respectfully agree. To disagree. Booyah. Shakalaka. Yeah.